Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 4 as we look in the Word of God today and uh, just excited about what God is doing in our church and in our families. And I'm thankful that God has uh, given us great promises from His Word. I'm thankful that God is God. I'm thankful that we can serve Him today. And in Nehemiah 4, we started this message last week and we shared about the, uh, just the overcoming life. And, you know, I'm thankful that God has not called us to, to live a, a life of defeatism, but God has called us to be victorious in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that things are going to be easy in the Christian walk, does it? It doesn't mean that things are always going to be, uh, always going to be fun or we're going to always necessarily enjoy things. But what it does mean is that we always have someone to walk with us through the fire. And I'm thankful that Nehemiah, in the midst of all that he went through as a, just a great pioneer in Israel's history, as a great leader, as a, just a great servant of Christ, we see that Nehemiah was used of God to demonstrate to us how to have a great overcoming life. And so as we see this, we see that in his life, he, we saw last week that he was able to overcome the foes that were against him, Sambalat, Tobiah, and others that were desired to his, his destruction. We saw that he was willing to just overcome them through prayer. And, and essentially, prayer is our greatest weapon in the spiritual battle that we fight daily. I cannot emphasize enough the need for us as church, as a church to pray for one another, to pray that God would give victory, because truly we can overcome by prayer. And, and the discouragement, the defeat, the, the, the attacks that may come, I'm thankful that God gives us the, the sweet unity of prayer with Him and communion there. And so as we see that, we also see that He prepared. He overcame through preparation in His life and making sure He was ready to, to face whatever may come. And, and He taught the, the the Israelites, how to prepare for what would, would happen. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to get onto our website. You can listen to it there or on uh, Facebook. You can listen to the live stream. But I just want to encourage you as you consider your life and your, your walk with the Lord that there's no greater thing to be able to experience the victorious Christian life that God wants for you. And so today we want to continue in Nehemiah chapter 4. As we see the second part of this message, and we see that God has called us in the overcoming life to oppose fear. And because fear comes, doesn't it? There was a man named Paulus. He was a Muslim, and he was working in law enforcement. And he made a point to preach Islam among Pakistan's minority uh, Christian community. As a matter of fact, he was so poignant in his efforts that he would often resort to beating and violently attacking uh, Christians if he couldn't win them over by his words. Paulus uh, was one day in a park and he saw a pastor there reading the Bible and he sat down on a bench with him and he began to discuss Islam with him in a, in a desire to persuade him to accept what he believed was the only true religion. But as a committed follower of Jesus Christ, the pastor told Paulus he could not be a Muslim. And so Paulus violently attacked this pastor, and between the painful blows that he threw upon this pastor, the pastor responded, I am beaten for Jesus Christ, and one day you will be beaten up for him too. Paulus didn't think much about that, but years later, I learned as I read about his life, he loved to read. And he was just an avid reader of anything he could get his hand on, particularly older books. And he was in a, in a bookstore one day, and he saw this really old volume. Didn't know what it was. He picked it up, uh, bought it, and took it home. And as he was reading through there, he couldn't escape the overwhelming sense of peace as he read through it. And as he looked through this book, he realized what he was reading was the Bible. And disgusted, he threw it aside, and he vowed he would return it to the uh, to the bookstore where he bought it and get his money back and exchange it for something different. But 
Uh, over the, the course of the next four days, he couldn't escape the peace that he experienced in his heart and his life. And he couldn't escape that overwhelming sense of just, just, just peace in everything. And so he went back to the book and he picked it up. And after he, he would read it for a while, he would remember all of the lies that had been taught. And he would again disgust it, would throw it aside. And this happened for several days in a row, and finally he decided he wanted to know more about Christianity. And he heard two Christian men talking on a bus one day, and as he's riding, he knew he had the opportunity to be able to learn more about Jesus. So he approached them and he says, he says, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in knowing more about Him. Can you, can you share with me more about Jesus? And so these men, they said, let us take you to our pastor." And so Paulus followed these men to, to their pastor, and, and his pastor explained everything of what Jesus was and what the Bible says. And, and, and throughout this experience, and throughout this, this time where he heard the pastor, he put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. He was baptized in 2001. And this man who was once a, a, a Muslim man who attacked and violently beaten uh, Christians took on the Apostle Paul's name of Paulus. And he said this, Still, whatever happens to me, I will always follow Jesus, my Savior. Amen. You see, the word from the pastor that he had beaten years before will soon be realized. In his life, uh, Paulus, when they, his family heard of the, his conversion, they began to uh, be very unhappy. His father beat him when he discovered him praying. And then his father and other religious leaders locked him in a room and continued to beat him periodically without food or water. And then after several months, one of Paulus' cousins helped him escape that, uh, that captivity. During the time of his captivity, his Muslim wife left him, and he, he, he and his son were, were, uh, were estranged from one another. His wife didn't want anything to do with him, but he was able to reconnect with his son after some time, and he was able to share with his son Jesus Christ, and his son was saved. And the family, out of hate, they found out when, they, when the boy was saved that they poisoned the boy to death rather than let him live with an infidel. The persecution didn't stop. On one occasion, a family member struck him so hard that he dropped his brand new three-month-old daughter, Sarah, with his second wife and had permanently damaged her left eye. His second wife, who was a Christian, stated that after accepting Jesus Christ, he never looked back. He always preached the word and served the Lord. In 2016, members of Paula's family beat him again. This so, so severely that his injuries were so severe that it eventually led to his death. That's a sad story, isn't it? We think about this believer, a man who truly gave up his life, and we think about all that he went through and beating after beating after beating. And I would dare say that, that there was some fear in his life at times, wouldn't you? Let me remind you of this truth. Fear and faith cannot abide simultaneously in the same heart. Paulus, in his life, despite the pain, despite the abuse, despite the persecution, he chose to continue to follow the Lord and have faith that despite what may come, that God would still be God and He would still rule and reign in his life. In this same fashion, we heard last week of Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah, who, who heard of the plight of Jerusalem and, and heard that the walls were crumbling and the gates were burned and that and the Jerusalem, his home city, was a, was a mockery to all who saw it. And so, Paul, uh, and so Nehemiah, he saw the plight and he, he had the burden and, and had a vision just to rebuild these walls. And, and, and throughout that, you would think that uh, his countrymen and even others would be excited for this, this moment, but they weren't. Others, even Jews, were against him. And they used fear, and they used uh, hate, and they used other things to be able to discourage them from being able to continue to finish what God had intended for them. But as we see this morning, as we look in the Word of God, when these foes came upon them, and the fear tried to take hold, that Nehemiah's faith surged through it all. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 4. I want to read the Word of God with you, and starting in verse number 7. And we went through some of this last week. I want to capture again a little bit for you the backstory here in the early verses, and we'll continue on through verse number 14 at this point. It says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that their breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They shall not know. Neither see till we come in in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. In verse 12, And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Let us stop and pray. Father, we thank you for the power of God's word this morning. Thank you that, Lord, you are still on the throne today and that, God, as we bow our head before you, we recognize this morning that you are God of all. There is no other like you, O Lord. And so, Father, I pray that as uh, in life we go through times where there seems to be great fear that tries to grip our heart, I pray that we might respond in faith. And, Lord, when discouragement tries to overwhelm us, that, Lord, we would be willing, uh, Lord, to just trust you through it all. We thank you, God, that you still sit on the throne. Lord, that you're still in the, the miracle-working business and that, God, you came to give life. May you produce that life in the hearts of those who are wondering this morning. May you produce in, in the lives of your, your children today great confidence and faith in you who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so, God, we give you the glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look today, I want to see a couple of things from this text as we see here in Nehemiah 4 that allows us to be able to know that we can overcome the fear that tries to, tries to dissuade us to, against serving the Lord and pressing forward by faith. And, and the first thing is we've got to be willing to stand against discouragements. In verses number 10 and 11, we see that there's two things that have happened here. We, we heard the threats in verses 7 through 9, as we mentioned last week. In verse number 10, it says, And Judah said, The strength of the burdens of the bearers is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. 
Judah was mentioning. He said, listen, there's great trial going on here. He says, he says there's a lot of work to do, and we're getting weak, and we're getting tired. If you've ever been a runner, uh, and, and probably uh, many of you have run more than I have lately, but, but if you've ever run, you're familiar with a term of, called the wall. At marathon runners, they run 26.2 miles, which you think is a little bit insane. There's got to be something wrong inside those cognitive faculties. Can I get an amen? I'm teasing Brother Greg. But marathon runners, about the, the halfway point, they hit this thing called the wall. And, and at that point, their mind is telling them, you can't go on any further. And the body is screaming out, you can't do it, take another step. And, and you just can't go forward. You're so worn out and you're exhausted and you just can't do it. And your heart becomes discouraged. And, and, and many marathon runners will tell you in their first marathon that they quit about the half, halfway point. I don't know about Brother Greg. He says, no, I just kept going. Ugh. But about halfway through, the mind and the body tr starts to rebel against all that's going on because you, you're exhausted and you're tired after 13 miles of running. And you look forward and you still say, I'm only halfway there. And you think, man, i still got a long ways to go. I just can't keep going. And the marathon runner, they'll hit that wall and they've got to persevere. They've got to push through the wall. And that's what oftentimes trainers will tell them. When you hit the wall, you've got to push through it. You're just going to keep going. In this moment, as Judah was crying out, I believe that they were in the moment of hitting the wall. Literally and figuratively. They were building a wall. Okay, thank you, Brother Ty. He got my joke. The rest of you just don't appreciate it. But as they hit the wall there at that moment, they were exhausted. They were tired and they thought, man, there's still so much work to do and we can't keep going. And there's still so much that we have to do. And, and we look about us sometimes as believers and we say, man, there's still so much and there's, there's still a world that's lost and on its way to hell. And, and there's still so much in my life that's wrong and it's broken. And it, can, I, can it ever be repaired? And can I ever come to a place where, where there's healing and restoration? Can I ever overcome this time of discouragement? And then in verse number 11... He says, and our adversaries, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabians, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, those who stood up against them. He says, he says and our adversary says, they shall uh, not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And they had great discouragement coming their way because as, as they were working, the, rumors, the rumor mill was running. And the rumor mill began to, to spread and say, listen, they're, 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 they're not even going to know when we come and we're going to just be able to destroy their life and it's going to be all wiped away. But listen, discouragement in this moment for Nehemiah and those builders and the workers on the wall, discouragement abounded. And truly there's times in our life where it seems like discouragement abounds, doesn't it? And there's times in our life where it seems like the, the clouds of discouragement just, just won't lift. Maybe it's a health or financial issue or maybe a relationship issue. And I want to remind you what Jesus Christ said to His disciples. In the moment right before He, uh, before he went to the cross, He knew it was going to be hard. And this is what He said in John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. Listen, he said in John 14, 1, let not. He said, listen, discouragement is a temptation that's, that's common to all of us. And in dealing with it, sometimes we need, to, to, we need tenderness. And sometimes we need toughness. But either way, discouragement is not to be tolerated or wallowed in. It's to be fought. Jesus said, let not. 
You have an opportunity here to be able to overcome the discouragement. If we linger in it, it can be costly. Its sense of defeat and hopelessness saps us of our energy and our vision to be able to move forward. It it can consume our time. It can uh, keep us from doing what God wants us to do because we're discouraged and we can't seem to get around it. In Nehemiah, some of those building the wall had gotten very discouraged. They were tired. The new of the building was over. When you enter a building program, people are excited. They see the vision. Man, we can't wait to swing our first hammer, or we can't wait to put in, uh, see the sheetrock go up, or run the wires, or whatever you, ex- uh, you get excited about, or see the roof go on, or the foundation laid. And we get excited about those early days, but then in the middle of it, when, the, when it really gets difficult, people begin to flag, and it becomes hard. And to keep going becomes a very, very difficult thing. Discouragement is a key weapon in Satan's arsenal. He uses it many times and continues to use it on Christians today. And Nehemiah's response was to stand against it. Look in verse 13 with me. Therefore, set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord. In the midst of your discouragement, when it seems like, man, I can't seem to see around this problem, remember the Lord. Remember that He is the one that fights with you. He is the one that is on your side. As the psalmist says, He is our shield. He is our buckler. He is the strength for our life. And so when you're going through a time of great discouragement, when you feel discouraged we want to, uh, and we need comfort, let me remind you to remember the Lord. Oftentimes the comforts we turn to are how to avoid our fears. They're not ways to face the, and courageously overcome, but instead to avoid. And when this happens, discouragement simply becomes sinful because no longer are we acting in faith, but in unbelief. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He didn't want His disciples going through times of discouragement and depression, and He doesn't want you either. He doesn't desire for us to be so overwhelmed by our fear that we're not able to move forward in faith. And so note Jesus' words, let not. These are not just comforting words, they're a command to us today. He knew they would be tempted to fear. He knew that things were going to be bad. But listen, it would, it, matter of fact, in, in that moment, it would look like the whole mission of why Jesus was here was imploding upon itself. And so He said, believe in God And so this morning, let me remind you, church, remember the Lord. Don't forget Him. In other words, don't let your hearts be ruled by what you see. Let them be ruled by what God promises to do. And that what He's saying to you today. What's tempting you to be discouraged? Maybe you're having a hard time believing that God will really work in this situation. But let me just remind you of Romans 8, 28. God is able. Amen. And so it's time... Not to, not to pout, but to fight, fight forward. To trust in the Lord. To be encouraged by Him. And when you feel like it's cho- when you're choking by the discouragement, it's not time to fl- plop down in front of a television with your favorite plate of comfort food. Amen? But it's in ti- time in- instead to fight for the life that God's promised for you. You may need to get someone to give you some, the Heimlich maneuver at times, but get encouraged. Encouragement is literally faith-fueled courage. Don't let discouragement choke you. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 reminds us of this beautiful hope today. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. That's what God wants for your life. 
Man, you feel discouraged, get into God's Word. Listen, it's, it's not going to come through uh, Oprah Winfrey. I don't even, is she even still on TV? Thank you. That tells me absolutely nothing. You know, it's not going to come through her. It's going to come through God's Word. And so get into God's Word and find the hope that, she, that it offers today and be encouraged and strengthened by Him because God says that, that when we remember Him, we can overcome those times of discouragement. And so don't let your heart be ruled by what you can see. Let it be ruled by what Christ promises. And Jesus said this in John 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen, who's overcome the world today? Amen. Let's try that again. Who has overcome the world today? Amen. That's correct. And when we, when we take our eyes off the Lord and what He's able to do, we become discouraged by the problems we face. Instead of saying God can, we say we can't. So... Tobiah was another example of this. Tobiah was a practicing Jew. He lived in a, in a residence inside the temple itself, and he is called an Ammonite. I can't even say it at this point. In Nehemiah 2, verse 10. His prob probably his family fled to that territory at the destruction of Jerusalem. And he enjoyed all kinds of favor, and he even had the title of servants. But he opposed the building, rebuilding of Jerusalem. He was afraid. He was afraid it would weaken his place and the political authority of the area. He was afraid of what might happen to him. And let me tell you that, that as a result of his fear, he compromised because misery loves company. And God's calling us not to, not to, uh, not to stand in the place of discouragement, but to take uh, courage through the Word of God today. Remember that He is with you. And so this morning, let me encourage you to stand alongside of Christ. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 15, I want you to look down with me and let's read verses 15 through 20 as we see that God calls us to stand with Him in the time when things get so difficult. It says, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, even or every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the harbingers, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah, they, uh, they which builded on the wall, and they which bare burdens, and with those that laid it, every one uh, with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon." For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. And what place thereof ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. Listen, as, we, as Nehemiah went through that, there was no shortage of the rumors to, that spread the fear in, in, among Nehemiah and all of those that followed him. But instead of choosing to succumb to the fear, they chose to stand with the Lord. It would have been easy to quit. It would have been easy to go home. It would have been easy to go back to the place of the comfort of the palace. But Nehemiah chose instead to, confidently, to choose to confidently follow the king's instructions and rebuild the wall. Fear has a way of paralyzing people. 2 Timothy 1.7, let me remind you of this incredible uh, verse that Paul shared with, with Timothy. As a, as a young man, uh, Timothy, Timothy often needed encouragement from Paul, and this is what God uh, gave Timothy through the hand of Paul. 
For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power and of love and of a sound mind. When you're fearful, let me put this in plain English, when you're fearful, it's not from God. When you're afraid, it's not because that's what God wants for you, but God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind, and God has instead for us a desire to move by faith and not by fear. And so instead of allowing his fear to dominate his life, we see Nehemiah posted guards. He armed his, the families because he knew that they would fight with and for one another. Nehemiah encouraged the people to not be afraid, but to trust in the Lord. If we look at our problem through the greatness of God, we have confidence that there will be success. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Listen, God is working for you, and I'm thankful that God says, if God be for us, who can be against us? So put your confidence in the risen Savior. And as we see in Romans 8.34, He is making intercession for us. I like this quote from Robert Murray McShane. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Think about that this morning. Listen to Isaiah chapter 51, verses 12 through 13. It says, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou? That thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and, and of the son of man which shall be made of gra as grass. And forgettest the Lord thy maker that stretcheth forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and has feared uh, continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor as he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? Listen, God reminds us that he is right there beside us. And when we allow ourselves to be feared with worry and fear, we're not living as the, as the uh, living God would, would want us to. He offers comfort, he offers encouragement, and wants us to live in him. After many years on a difficult mission field, Amy Carmichael wrote this, I have noticed that when God has promises of blessing someone, the devil of discouragement, who is one of Satan's most useful servants, is sure to come and whisper all sorts of miserable, depressing thoughts. Do not forget that discouragement is always from beneath, while encouragement is always from above. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember the Lord. In the midst, when, when life seems like it's at its worst, remember the Lord. Psalms 27 reminds us of this powerful truth. When my mother, father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Listen, there may be times where it seems like you're all alone and you're desperate, but remind, remind yourself, God has promised He will never leave you or forsake you. We don't have to live without comfort. God offers it freely to you today. We don't have to live in fear because God is the one who fights for us. We don't have to live like we're alone because He is there. And 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us that we can cast our cares upon Him for He careth for you. So I urge you, cast your cares upon the Lord. We can allow our circumstances and our actions of others to drive us down, or we can cast our cares to the Lord and cling to Him and not fear anything else. You know, when we wake up in the morning, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, you didn't know what's going to happen this morning. I don't know what's going to happen through the rest of the day. We're, we're, I'm not a prophet, but this is what I know, that no matter what may come, I can trust. 
No matter how difficult it may seem, the God has promised that He wants to go before us into battle. He is our strong defense. He is our buckler. He is our shield. He is our high tower, as Psalms 27 also says. And so whatever battle you are in right now, seek the Lord, trusting Him. Remember that we have we've been given a mighty spiritual weapon in this fight. One of the greatest weapons you have is the weapon of prayer. Prayer is a weapon of our faith, and it is the greatest weapon of our faith. And I like, what, I like this, this quote I heard from a speaker this week. As they said, prayer should be a first response, not a last resort. So often we get that backwards, don't we? In the midst of our battle, we can grow discouraged. We can feel defeated. And, the, and by all the energy that's expended, and it feels like we're spinning our wheels. But this is what Christ says. Come unto me, in Matthew 11, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon, me and, uh, upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the midst of the battle, when it seems like the world is collapsing and it seems like you can't take another step and it's even hard to breathe, God says, come to me and you'll experience rest. And so maybe you're in the desert of the battle tonight, this morning. Maybe you're in the midst of the, the, the battle right now. Remember to remind you that God has promised His presence will be with you. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to understand fully. But you do have God in His presence. And that's what Nehemiah reminded them in verse number 20. Our God shall fight for us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 remind us, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and she, He shall direct thy paths. Trusting God is not about just trusting Him in the convenient ways. It's not just about trusting God in the easy ways, but in all the ways that we have before us in our life. When we acknowledge Him, it is truly seeking Him when we don't know what to do. When we acknowledge Him, it's seeking Him when we think we do know what to do. And it's seeking Him because we acknowledge and follow Him. Yesterday's victories won't determine today's successes. And so the greatest faith of yesterday will not give us the confidence in God unless we stay connected to God today. You've got to connect into Him. You've got to plug into Him because this is what 2 Chronicles reminds us. 16 and verse number 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. God is searching. He is looking and He's seeking for, for those who, uh, who will be fully committed to Him so that He can bless and give us His best. And so He's seeking you. Seeking you to trust Him. He's seeking uh, us as a church to be able to say we want to move forward by faith. So are you willing to focus on Him? Are you willing to say, God, in the midst of this discouraging time, in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this, this insurmountable obstacle before me, I'm just going to keep my eyes upon you. I'm going to remember the Lord in the midst of this day because our God is the one that will fight for us. Our God is the one that will bring victory. Because Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father, of uh, the throne of God. What we focus on, church, is what we magnify in our lives. Are you focusing on their fear? Then your faith has been diminished. Are you focusing on the Lord? Then let me tell you, when as we see the mighty hand of God at work in a problem, we can see God do a tremendous work, and we can be encouraged by that. And so I encourage you today, focus on Jesus Christ. I believe that God's desire for you today and for me is that we have a life that is full of faith. This is the overcomer's life. 
no matter how difficult things may seem, we have a God who is able. He is able. He is able. I know He is able. Listen, we have a God who is able today. Do you believe that this morning? I believe that this year, as we seek to bring glory to God in our church, my prayer is that we will confidently step up as a body of believers. That we will say, Lord, we want to renew. We want to be able to be encouraged in, in these ministries. We want to be able to just go forward by faith. And so I urge you, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. As Jesus said, believe also in Him. So put your confidence, put your faith in the One who is able. Renew your confidence in the One whose power is unending. And your love, uh, and your love for you knows no boundaries. So the overcoming life is one that chooses to overcome the foes and destroy and oppose the fear. Maybe today, Christian, you've been, you've been struggling lately. Man, the altar's a great place to come back to the Lord. Oftentimes I talk to people and say, you know, I've been, I've been away from the Lord for a long time and I just don't know where to, I don't know how to get back. It starts with prayer. Starts right here this morning saying, God, I have run from you, and now I feel like the, the whole world is against me. I feel like the, I'm just overwhelmed, or, and, and, I, and I just need you this morning. I just I want to I come back to you, and, and, and I just want to be renewed in my faith and my walk with you. And so today, I choose to be an overcomer by looking and remembering you and trusting you. But you know, the greatest thing the Lord has done for us is that He's provided us a way to experience life everlasting. And that truly is the pathway to the overcomer's life. Because we see that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross and He was buried. And then He rose again miraculously by His power to prove that He had power over death and the grave. And this morning, He demonstrated that love of God in such a tangible way for us 2,000 years ago. So that today, in 2020, at Hillside Baptist Church, we may be able to be reminded from 1 John 4, 9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Today, God offers you life in Jesus Christ. Today, God offers you a life that can be just incredible because of what Christ has done for you. But it starts today with putting your faith in Him as your Savior. And I invite you today to do that. You know, I don't, I don't know everybody's heart. I can't see the heart, but God does. And this morning, perhaps you even feel God pressing upon your heart the need for salvation. And you, you hear Him knocking on your door and, and you know that He is leading and desires for you to come and to be saved this morning. And I urge you this morning, don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Don't say, well, I'll take care of it later. Why don't you do it right now, even as we sing this morning?